Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. This morning we are in Philippians 1. Philippians 1, another, another amazing uh, uh, book of the Bible written by the Apostle Paul. Um, so uh, we're going to get into it. So let's pray. And um, I'm excited. Let's go. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this morning, Lord God. I want to thank you, Father, for, for what you're doing in our lives, Lord God. And Father, thank you uh, for the continued motivation of my brothers and sisters to wake up 6 a.m. and get ready to just to dig into your word, Father, to get closer to you, Father. I pray, Lord God, that you'll be with us during this time. I pray, Father, that be your words that are heard, not mine, Father, that I would fade to the background and that you and your word will be at the forefront, Father. Reveal new things to us as we as we read from the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stretch. All right. Philippians 1, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests request for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Verse 12, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So that has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Verse 19, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always. So now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. 
Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake having the same conflict, conflict, which you saw in me, and now here is in me. Amen, amen. All right, let's give it a stretch. If you got it, take a sip of your Bustelo. Yep, we're doing it, Joe. So Philippians. Philippians is a really unique um, book that Paul wrote a letter to the, to the church in Philippi. Um, the Philippian church was established right around AD 51 by Paul. And it was actually the first church in, um, in Europe. And Paul enjoyed a really close relationship with the Philippians more than with any other church that he established. Um, and we know that, you know, even though we have the books of, you know, Ephesians, Philippians, and Corinthians, and, you know, these were the churches that he was saying letters to. There was a whole lot more churches that he actually established, but the Philippian church had a special play, place for him. Um, he wrote this letter when he was in house arrest in Rome, and that and this house arrest is described in Acts 28, uh, verses 30 and 31. And so when he was writing this, he was awaiting trial. He was awaiting um being seen by Caesar, um, and it was Caesar Nero that he was waiting to, to go um, in trial before. So when he starts, he says to all, and he's, he's addressing this letter to three groups of people. Um, he's addressing it to all the saints in, in, in Christ Jesus, and this means he was addressing it to all the Corinthians in Philippi, and all Christians, he's talking about the saints, you know, all Christians, all of us, we are saints in Christ Jesus. You know, and he's talking about, he says, the bishops, this means um, bishops were those with leadership responsibilities. The ancient uh, Greek word for bishop is overseer. It was used to describe the general leadership um, long before it became a title that, some, you know, some churches use um, for, for uh, the man of God in, in, um, as, as an official office by church traditions. And then talks about deacons and deacons are those just recognize uh, those with uh, recognized positions of service. So he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. When, when Paul remembered what all the, Philipp the Philippians did for him, he was truly and extremely thankful. He was more grateful to God who had worked through the Philippians and because they were extremely giving to Paul, right? They, they really supported his ministry and, um, and he's, they support him both when he was with them and, and even after he had left them, they continued to support him. And, and when he prayed for the Philippians, he prayed for them with joy. This was, this is one way that he felt that he could repay the Philippians for everything they had done for him. Um, and one can say that, that Paul was just, was, a uh, he became happy just by praying for them. And it's interesting, interesting to see that Paul's first reference to his own feelings when it comes to this is with joy. Even though he was writing from a prison, 
He was right, you know, and, and, and he was writing knowing that he was possibly going to be um, executed very soon. He still wrote with joy when he was writing to the Philippians. And, and he says in verse five, for your fellowship is in the gospel. You know, this was one reason Paul was thankful for the Philippians. The idea is that the Philippians had partnered with Paul in spreading the gospel, you know, through, through their friendship and, and through their financial support. You know, Paul was, was, you know, like the missionaries that we support yeah, at Fusion Church, you know, that they were continually sending him money, where, you know, whatever he needed, they were continually helping him. And, and so he, he, he expressed joy and happiness, you know, and they did it from, from the first day they, they knew him until now, you know, it was a continual thing. The Philippian church, they didn't wait to see if, if Paul's ministry was going to be successful. They didn't wait, you know, they weren't like, all right, Paul, cool. Um, uh, give us an update in a year and then we'll see what we can do to help you out. Like, no, they were from day one, they were supporting, you know, and, and they got behind him and his ministry very, very early on in verse six, you know, he's a very famous verse. It says, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. When Paul thought of the beginning of God's work among the Philippians, it was natural that he also thought of the day when, when that work would be complete. See, Paul expressed his confidence in God's ability to complete that work. And it was indeed a good work begun in the Philippians and, and, and all the believers that were there because that good work, since it was begun, Paul was confident in his completion. See, God is, is a worker who completes his work. God has begun a work in you, brothers and sisters. He has begun something in you and he will complete it. It doesn't matter how long it's gonna take. There are some people on this call who they, I'm sure you've been waiting for years and years and years for God to complete what he started in you. But it says here in the word that he was, he will complete it. He will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. But there's time. Jesus hasn't come back yet. So we have the assurance that it's, it, it will happen. It can still happen. Verse seven, he says, it is right for me to think this of you. See, Paul's thankfulness, um, joy, and desire to pray for the Philippians was right because they stood behind him in his trials for the gospel. And they received the same grace that he did. Paul was a man of great intellect, but he was also a man of great heart. And the Philippian Christians were in his heart. They were, they were that special group of, of Christians that, you know, he really, really loved. You know, and he says in verse nine, this, I pray that you may abound still more and more. The Philippians had a lot of love and they showed it to Paul. Yet Paul didn't hesitate to pray that their love would abound still more and more. You know, it doesn't matter how much love for others we have. We can still have more. We can still have more love. But he goes on to say in knowledge and in all discernment. See, the love that Paul wanted to give to the Philippians was not blind love. It was a love of knowledge and discernment. It was a love that could prove the things that are excellent. Paul knew the danger of, uh, of an undiscerning love because we re read in, in 1 Corinthians that he rebuked the Corinthian church that 
that they seem to glory in their love. They seem to glory in their openness for how much they love people, but they lacked knowledge and discernment. We could read about that in first Corinthians five, you know, there are a lot of, uh, of organizations that love, there are a lot of churches that love and they love and they accept everybody, but they are not loving with knowledge and discernment and they will be judged for it. The apostle Paul's telling us we need to love people walk through the doors of fusion church. We need to love them. Right. But he's also saying, love them, but don't be dumb because not everyone that's coming in has the right intentions. Not everyone that's coming in. It has the right, the right heart. And they're, they're doing things for the wrong reasons. So love, yes, love, but love with knowledge, love with discernment allow the holy spirit to speak to you and to open up your spiritual eyes to realize who we are dealing with because we can't just let anything happen because if we're just uh, uh, letting everyone come in and 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 we do the doors of fusion church are open to anybody right but we need to have discernment because sometimes people come in with selfish reasons selfish things that they want people want a platform People want to be, uh, be seen, you know, and it's like, well, where is their heart? The church of Corinth, they were letting anybody come in and do anything. And so Paul rebuked them. But the church in Philippi, Paul was honoring them because they, they loved, but they loved with knowledge and discernment says that you may be sincere and without offense in verse 10. We, when we approve and receive the things that are excellent, we become sincere, which means that we are seeking inner righteousness, but, but also we are with, without offense, which is speaking of outer righteousness that can be seen. We need to realize that it's all about the inside and the outside. What the changes that the Lord's doing in your heart and the actions that, that you're doing for others. It goes both ways till the day of Christ. These things become increasingly evident in the life, uh, in our lives until Jesus comes. Being sincere is important, but alone it's not enough. Sinners in Jesus' day, like tax collectors, they were sincere, you know, but they still needed to repent. So it goes both ways. It says in verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, the work of becoming sincere and without offense is really God's work within us. It happens as we are filled with the fruits of righteousness. Bearing fruit is also is, is always a result of abiding in Jesus Christ. That's why having a relationship with Jesus is so important because we will not bear fruit, brothers and sisters, if we are not abiding in Jesus Christ, if we do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if we don't, we're just doing good things. But if we're abiding in him, then we will begin to bear fruit. As we abide in him, we, we receive the life. That, that is needed to naturally bear fruit to the glory and praise of God. In verse 12, he says, the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Paul was answering a concern of the Philippians because he wanted them to know that, that God's blessings and power were still with him, even though he was in prison, even though he was behind locked doors. The, the blessing and power of, of, of Christ was still with him. He was not out of the will of God. God's work still continued. He was there because he was within the will of God. 
And when Paul was, because when, when Paul was with the Philippians, they were, there were amazing examples uh, of the power of God. And in Acts 16, it talks about, you know, a, a divine jailbreak. It talks about uh, vindication when they were before uh, civil magistrates. So there were acts of God that it was very evident. But now that he's in prison, it's easy to say, like, is this of God? I'm going through this tough time right now. Is this of God? I'm being persecuted. Is this of God? I lost my job. Is this of God? My family's falling apart. Am I still within the will of God? We're not surprised that the, the Philippians wondered where the power of God was in Paul's present imprisonment. We also know that all this turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Because when he was in prison, Paul wrote the books or the, the letters to the church in Philippi the church of Ephesus, the church of Corinth, these, these amazing books of the Bible that were written while he was in oppression, while he was in prison, while he was awaiting trial before Caesar Nero, while he was likely, and we know did happen, he was going to be executed for his faith. But the gospel was still furthered. See, sometimes we think that the circumstances that we're in, how deep and dark and how desperate it might be, that, that you still cannot be of service to the gospel. You, can, you still can't be of service to the kingdom of God. But brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, it does not matter your circumstances. It doesn't matter what you're going through. You can still be an example of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done in your life. God didn't waste Paul's time during his imprisonment. God never wastes our time. You were not in a situation that you're in for nothing. It's not a waste of time. Though, though we might waste time by not sensing God's purpose in lives at the moment. Again, if you were not in right relationship with God, it doesn't matter your circumstance. All you will see is the bad. But if you continue your relationship with God, you continue to seek him despite your circumstance, you will see that there's a purpose. And you might not even see it to the end, but you will see that there's a purpose. There's a reason. God does not waste time. God does not waste time. Again, it was for the furtherance of the gospel. Paul doesn't mention if he was advanced because he didn't care about that. He didn't care about his status. He assumed that the Philippians didn't care either because their common passion was the furtherance of the gospel. And because of what was going on at this time in his life, the gospel was furthered. It was, it was pushed even farther out. Because, and we know this. He was in prison. And in his imprisonment, he was, still, he was still influencing people. Verse 13, it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. One of the things that Paul a lot of times wrote, he would, he would write in his letters, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He counted himself a slave to Christ, a servant to Christ. The palace guards, the other prisoners, they, they, what they saw is that this man, physically in chains was not in chains because he was a servant of christ my chains are in christ i am devoted to him i am a servant of him wherever he sends me i will go whatever he tells me to do i will do 
I'm only in prison because he allowed it. I'm only in prison because it is within his will that I be here right now. See, the circumstances around Paul's imprisonment and, the, and what was going on there made it clear to the observers that he was not just another prisoner. He was an emissary of Christ. He was an ambassador of the kingdom of God. And this witness led to the concession of many. Even some of the palace guards came to faith in Jesus because of who uh, what Paul was doing and how he represented Jesus. From this, we see that Paul could minister effectively and bring glory to God in less than ideal circumstances. He didn't need everything to be nice. He didn't need everything to be easy. He didn't need everything to be set in order to be fruitful. Brothers and sisters, whatever circumstance you're finding yourself in right now, it may not be the most ideal situation. It may be tough. It probably sucks, but you can still further the gospel. You can still spread the gospel. You can still be an example, an ambassador of the kingdom of God, no matter where you're at. It doesn't matter. My man, Paul was in chains awaiting execution. How many of y'all here right now in your life are in chains waiting executions? Go ahead. I'll wait for an answer. That's right. You ain't got it that bad. So no matter where you're at, you can still push the gospel. You can still be an example of Jesus. Having been confident by my chains, verse 14, Paul's imprisonment gave the Christians around him and those who were not imprisoned greater confidence and boldness because they saw that Paul had joy in the midst of his trials. They saw that God would take care of Paul in these circumstances, and they saw that God could still use Paul even while he was imprisoned. The Bible, the New Testament letters that we read were written in the midst of prison, in the midst of, 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 of beatings, of torture. It was He wrote it, and he wrote it with joy. Verse, uh, whew, man, I got so much to go. Verse 16 says, the former preach from Christ and self-ambition. I was going to talk about other people who are trying to preach the gospel. And there were people that were trying to preach the gospel after out of wrong motives, you know, and, and they were full of selfish ambition, which makes them serve, but not serving sincerely the kingdom. Now, listen, ambition isn't necessarily bad because there's nothing wrong with wanting to be the best that we can be for God. But self-ambition is most concerned about a successful image instead of striving for the true success before God. You want to be in ministry. You want to, you want to preach the gospel. Amen. Let's do it. Where's your heart at? Where's your ambition? Who are you doing it for? Are you doing it so that you can be seen? On, on the Fusion Church YouTube channel and, and you can be seen Sunday morning on the stage and jumping up and down and, and or are you doing it because you want to worship your Lord? You want to serve your God? What is your motivation? See, so those who preach Christ from wrong motives, so they want to, they, they suppose to add affliction to Paul's change. Their, their competitive hearts did not only want to win it for themselves, but also wanted Paul to lose. They were doing it out of false, uh, for, for, for bad reasons, you know, and, and, and Paul knew what was going on. They wanted Paul to admit that there were others who were more effective in, in ministry than, those, than, than he was. They didn't understand that Paul honestly didn't care about this. 
listen, I have no doubt that there were better preachers than Paul. Matter of fact, there's evidence, there's, 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 there's writings that there were, that there were much better speakers than Paul, much better preachers than Paul. What are their names? Again, I'll wait. We don't know because they were doing it out of false motivation. But my man, Paul, he didn't care about that. He didn't care about that. He cared about furthering the gospel by any means. You know, and, and so, like I said, some preach the, the gospel more energetically, you know, motivated by Paul's t- uh, imprisonment, you know. And, now, some were motivated in a good way and some motivated in a bad way, but they were motivated. Whoever's, whoever that is, they were motivated by, by, by wrong things, you know, but Paul's attitude was this. Paul's attitude was like, if you preach the true gospel, I don't care what your motives are. If your motives are bad, then God's going to deal with you. But at least the gospel's being preached. But if you preach a false gospel, I don't care how good your motives are. You are dangerous and must stop preaching your false gospel. Good motives don't excuse a false message. So how are you preaching the gospel to people? What are your motives? Paul's saying, if your motives are good, preach. You're preaching a true gospel, do it. But if your motives are bad and or you're preaching a false gospel, you need to be stopped. If, if Paul's imprisonment could hinder the gospel, neither, it couldn't could not hinder the gospel, neither could the wrong motives of some. God's work is still getting done. And that was cause for rejoicing. I'm going to move on because we don't have the time, brothers and sisters, to, to get through all this. You know, um, in verse 20 says, my earnest expectation of hope. These were words of faith. Paul trusted God. And he believed that God would not cause him to be ashamed or that God would not turn um, against him in this matter. Though he was in prison and waiting trial before Caesar, Paul had the God confidence that he was in the center of God's will. And he knew God was not punishing him through the adversity, adversity he was experiencing. Paul had this trust and admitted to the Philippians that he might not be released. He may be, he may be killed. He may be executed, but Paul lived his life to glorify Jesus Christ, not to preserve himself. If Jesus wanted him to lay down his life, Paul was pleased by it. And it's easy for us to dictate how we can and and cannot glorify God in our lives. But Paul wisely left that up to God. Like he was saying, whatever you want, you want to release me, Lord, I'm cool. You need me to die for the, for the, for the gospel. So be it. Your will be done. How many of us are, are able to say, Lord, your will be done. Whatever you want, whatever you need me to do. How many of us can say that? It's difficult. It's tough. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, when you're living within the will of God, it's amazing. Verse 21 says, for me to live is Christ 
and to die is gain. Death is not the defeat of a Christian. It is merely a graduation to glory. Death is a gain for Christians because we know where we're going. Paul's death at, at, at the time would, would be a gain in two senses. First, his death for the cause of Christ would glorify Jesus, and that was a gain. And second, it would be to be in the immediate presence of the Lord was gained to Paul. Paul did not fear death. Though we may fear dying, don't fear death. Don't fear death. Listen, one way I would never want to die is being burned alive. That's crazy. There's no way. You know what I'm saying? I do not want to die but I'm not afraid of death because I know where I'm going. I know exactly where I'm going and I'm looking forward to it. So don't be afraid of death, brothers and sisters. It's okay to, 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 to fear dying. You know, I don't want to drown. That sounds horrible, but I'm not afraid of death. Does that make sense? But he says, but if I live in, on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Paul was confident that God intended him to be fruitful. And there was no doubt in Paul's mind that this was God's plan for him. If Paul lived, it would be a fruitful life. Verse 23, having a desire to depart and, and be with Christ. It, it is strong to say, but one must say that Paul, in some way, he wanted to die. He said, if, uh, Charles Spurgeon wrote, he said he had a desire to depart and the desire was strong one. The Greek word has much more, much more force in it. He panted, he longed for, for death. Not to get away from his circumstances, but to be with the Lord. But to be in front of his savior. He had many motiv motivations to depart. Because going heaven meant he would be finally done with sin and temptation. Going to heaven meant that he would see those brothers and sisters who had departed before him. But most of all, going to heaven meant being with Christ in a closer way than ever before. That should be our motivation, brothers and sisters. That one day we will pass away. We will be in glory. And we can enjoy uh, uh, being with Christ in a way that we can never really experience here on earth because we can go through our lives and we will feel Christ with us. We will feel the presence of the Holy spirit. And it's amazing. And it's amazing when, when you, when you, when you have that deep relationship with him and you know, you know that he is with you, you feel him. My family just went through a horrible situation. You know, we had a death in our family and, and we had to go, you know, to the funeral and, and but, and even though that was a horrible situation throughout the entire time, we could feel the Holy spirit at work. We could feel Christ with us every step of the way. And amazing things happen. Even though we were there for a horrible reason. God was with us. We had his peace. We knew he was giving us comfort and giving comfort to those around us. But that pales in comparison to when we get to glory and we see Jesus face to face. And he wraps us in his arms. 
And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we need to look forward to. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, Lord. We thank you, Father, that we can have the assurance, Lord, that no matter what we're going through, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, Father, we know that we are within your will. We know that even if it's a bad situation, it's still within your will. And if it's within your will, Lord God, you will work it out. You will get us through it because you are our Father, Lord. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that, that you would continue to reveal, reveal more and more things from this word, more and more things from the scripture as we go about our day, Father. I pray, Father, that each and every one of my brothers and sisters, that they will meditate on your word, Lord God, and you just open your eyes so they can see more about you. They can, they can be revealed more about who you are and who you are to them. Father, I praise you for what you're doing in our lives, Lord. Thank you so much, Father, for, for all your good works. In your holy and precious name, Jesus Christ, amen and amen.